Welcome to the reading of the Quad City Times for today, Monday, the 5th of February, 2024. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of people with print disabilities. Your readers today are Carol Lockard and Jeff Cassett. Here's Carol with our first story. Thank you, Jeff. Public comments limited. Davenport residents will have fewer opportunities to address the city council during meetings under new public comment rules, which Davenport Mayor Mike Matson announced Saturday during a budget work session. Starting February 21st, Davenport will only have open-ended public comments at the end of the regular meeting, which are typically on the second and fourth Wednesdays of the month. Committee of the Whole meetings on the first and third Wednesdays of the month will keep the public comments for each agenda item, but will no longer have an additional open-ended public with business item at the end of the meeting. The regular meeting public comment time also will be cut from five minutes to three minutes. Time to speak during committee of the whole meetings on each agenda item will remain the usual five minutes, Matson said. Matson also said meetings will continue to be live streamed, video recorded, and uploaded, but that the city would no longer stream that the regular meeting public comment. Matson also said the city legal staff would edit out potentially defamatory public comments. The changes come following concerns from city legal staff and council members that the city could be sued for publishing public comments seen as defamatory on the city's website. Matson said he felt this was a middle ground. He said some aldermen wanted further limitations on public comment, wanted to halt live streaming altogether, or require speakers to sign up or show a form of ID to prove their Davenport residency. Matson said the city would not require anyone to sign up ahead of time or require any kind of identification. Under state law, government entities can put restrictions on time and who speaks during meetings and when. However, Iowa Freedom of Information Council Executive Director Randy Evans has urged the city to avoid stifling public criticism. City to conduct national city administrator search. The city of Davenport will search nationwide for its next permanent city administrator, Matson said. The city's previous city administrator, Corey Spiegel, separated from the city with $1.6 million in lieu of a harassment lawsuit. Mallory Merritt, the city's chief financial officer, has been serving as interim city administrator since November. Matson named a search committee made up of council members and the public. At-large ALD Kyle Grip, first uh, must be alderman. At-large first at-large alderman Kyle Grip, first ward alderman Rick Dunn, and seventh ward alderman Michelle Lynch will serve as council representatives to the committee and seven members of the public, Kent Pilcher, Randy Moore, Michelle Hargrave, Michelle Russell, Mo Hyder, Kelly Grubbs, and Jim Lycom also will be on the committee. Matson said the committee's first meeting would be next week to review a request for proposals and advertising for a search firm. Matson said any contract with a search firm would come before the council. Once the search firm collects applicants and name finalists, Matson said a separate panel made up of community members and city staff will interview the finalists. Matson said the panel will make a recommendation to the committee 
which will bring the recommendation to the mayor and council. Matzer said the council would be likely to meet in closed sessions to discuss the recommendation. This will not be a fast process, Matson said, so know that we're intentional about making sure we involve a lot of folks and do this through a guided thing, and the search firm will help with that. And then under a code of conduct committee formed, the mayor named four council members to be a part of a committee formed to draft a code of conduct for council members. The members named are at-large Alderman Jasmine Newton, 4th Ward Alderman Tim Kelly, 6th Ward Alderman Ben Jobjin, and 8th Ward Alderman Paul J. Reiner Jr. Matson said a consultant with the Iowa League of Cities would be available to meet with the committee and provide examples. Now here's Jeff. Fueling the community. Sunny's Coffee Shop to open near the airport. The drive along Route 6 will have a new chance for an extra caffeine kick starting later this month. Sunny's Coffee Shop is expected to open mid-February and be open Monday through Saturday from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m., offering both a drive through and indoor sit-down options. <clears throat> the building at 6816 34th Street Court in Moline is the former home to State Beauty Supply, a wholesale distributor of cosmetology supplies. The company vacated the building due to the COVID-19 pandemic. <clears throat> Sunny's owner, Max McDermott, drove past the building every day on his way to Rock Island, where he works as a firefighter. An avid coffee drinker, he noticed there was no ideal place to stop and get a caffeine fix before starting his shift. His dad owns the building and offered the space to other coffee shops in the area. Nobody was interested, which gave McDermott uh, the inn he was looking for. After two weeks of mulling it over with his wife, they decided to take the leap of faith. I said, you know what, let's do it, he said. For the past several months, McDermott has been teaching himself the ins and outs of the coffee business. That's on top of months of research prior. I went around to coffee shops in Quad Cities and I thought to myself, what do I like and what do I not like? He said, I wanted people to have enough options to satisfy everyone. Well, being a proud dad to toddlers, having a drive through was a must. Being busy, he wanted to make sure there were caffeine-free options he could consume on an empty stomach. In Sunny's, McDermott plans to have breakfast sandwiches, breakfast burritos, coffee, frappes, smoothies, energy drinks, and every latte and cappuccino option available. The inside of the shop has an industrial feel with live edge counters, concrete floors, and exposed ceilings. The dining area has tables and booths that will allow customers to work from the cafe. Creating a place where people can be comfortable and relax was a big goal for McDermott. Sonny's is a reference to his late mom, who would often take him to coffee shops when he was a child because she enjoyed the atmosphere and it created a sunny spot in her day. She later named her dog Sonny, another pull for the name. 
McDermott said he wanted to create a place where customers felt comfortable, welcomed, and appreciated. Whether customers are on the go or have time to come inside, the goal is to create an inviting open space that leaves a sunny spot on every customer's day. I think a lot of people want to see a smiling face, he said. I've told people I've hired that the only thing mandatory is a smile. Carol? And from the local page, Dems urge advocacy on education. Scott County's three Democratic state lawmakers urged constituents to continue making their opinions known about education legislation, including on area education agencies. Senator Cindy Winkler, a Democrat from Davenport, said at a forum at the local Democratic lawmakers, uh, which was hosted Saturday, we can't underestimate the power of your input, particularly on this bill. Earlier this week, House Republicans said they would not move forward on the Governor Kim Reynolds' bill to restructure how schools receive teacher and student support services. Instead, House leaders plan to hold their own meetings with stakeholders and return with a bill of their own. Reynolds' most recent proposal was to allow school districts to opt out of using AEAs and instead contract out for special education services and training. Reynolds has pitched the change as necessary as test scores of Iowa students with disabilities have lagged and the state spends a comparatively high amount on those students without seeing top-level results. Some AEA educators, however, have said the school districts provide disability services. The AEAs provide specialty services and training. About 50 people turned up at the Eastern Avenue branch of the Davenport Public Library on Saturday morning to talk to their legislators about education legislation. Several members of the audience were AEA employees. Lori Janke, whose 15-year-old daughter uses speech services from Mississippi Bend Area Education Agency, said working with the agency has produced mixed results. Janke is not in favor of complete overhaul of the AEAs and said she doesn't trust Iowa's Governor Kim Reynolds to bring reform to the agencies, but she said she thinks the data on outcomes for students shows some changes need to be made. She said, you're not going to run into too many parents who've been part of the system for a long time who will say reform is not maybe needed. And an agency is always worth looking at and seeing how we can better do this, but the idea of dismantling it all is a little far extreme, Janky told legislators and audience. I am just asking, is in all the conversations, I hear jobs, and I hear nothing about how we're going to make it better for the students. We hear this, and it's all about jobs and saving that, and I'm all for saving the AEAs, but we also have to talk about the data is the data, and it's real. What are we going to do to make it better for the kids? Paula Carlson Pari, who has worked as a substitute teacher for the Davenport School District and as a paraprofessional, said the AEA was instrumental for her work. She said, if the schools did not have the AEA for resources, they would be in big trouble. They came into the middle school when I was working at the middle school during the summer, 
and helped us develop lesson plans. They put together so many fantastic resources for us. For a few years, she worked in a severe and profound disabilities room with AEA employees. Carson Parr said, for a few years, oh, she said, they can pull in resources, they can find whatever they need, they can as an organization. They have the ability to reach resources that I don't think we would otherwise have. Jeff, back to you. Temps to be in the upper 40s. February showing mild weather conditions. A January that ended by being second on the all-time snowiest list for the Quad Cities is giving way to a February that's so far is proving very mild. Meteorologist Dave Cousins of the National Weather Service in Davenport said the weather models are calling for a high today under sunny skies reaching into the upper 40s and maybe striking 50. Tuesday will be a touch warmer with a high of 51 in sunny skies. Wednesday is expected to be mostly cloudy with a high of 54, while Thursday brings a chance of rain and a high of 58. Rain will come back into the area Thursday morning through Friday, Cousins said. There will be rain chances across the state, potentially lingering into Saturday. Beyond that is when the temperatures begin to go down a little bit. Friday's high is expected to reach about 51 degrees under mostly cloudy skies, while Saturday is expected to be mostly sunny with a high of 45. Overnight lows will range from 29 degrees tonight to 47 degrees Wednesday night, back down to 34 by Friday night. There is a potential for some cooler air to come down about the middle of the month, Cousins said. That's still out there, and we're not sure how long that will stick around. The normal high temperatures for this time in February are about 33 degrees, with normal overnight lows in the mid-teens. The 8 to 14 day outlook through February 17th issued by the Climate Prediction Center is calling for temperatures to trend above normal for the Quad Cities region while precipitation is expected to trend below normal. In other words, a return to the El Nino pattern. January snowfall totaled 27.2 inches, making it the second snowiest January on record. There was 34, point, or excuse me, 3.34 inches of rain for the month, which did not make it to the top 10 percent or top 10 of the wettest Januarys on record. The snow, which occurred before the ground became frozen, plus the rain, did much to alleviate the drought conditions across Iowa in general and in the Quad Cities region in particular. Illinois is virtually drought-free. That was a nice amount of liquid, especially with the first snowstorm, Cousins said. January ended with an average monthly temperature of 23.6 degrees, which is three-tenths of a degree above normal. The highest temperature for the month was 49 degrees on January 31st, while the lowest temperature for the month was minus 19 on January 21st. The biggest snowfall for the month was 15.4 inches on January 12th. Carol? And man sentenced to 17 years in federal prison. 
A 23-year-old Davenport man has been sentenced to more than 17 years in federal prison after pleading guilty to child porn charges. Benji Clark Essinger Engesser Jr. was sentenced February 1st during a hearing in the U.S. District Court in Davenport. U.S. District Judge Stephen Locker sentenced Engesser to 210 months or 17 and a half years in prison. He will receive credit for the time he has spent in custody awaiting trial and sentencing. Engesser pleaded guilty to one count of distribution and receipt of child pornography during a hearing on October 17th in U.S. District Court in Davenport. A charge of possession of child pornography was dismissed in a plea agreement. According to federal court documents, between March 12, 2022 and July 27, 2022, Engesser exchanged sexual photos with a teen girl. On July 25, Davenport police responded to an address where a parent reported their 13-year-old daughter was exchanging sexual photos with an adult. Officers were given the phone number and was then traced to Engesser. The victim stated that she and Engesser met on Snapchat in March of 2022, and he told her he was 21, and she told him she was 17. The victim told authorities Engesser would ask for sexual pictures, and she would send them, and he would send nude photos of himself to her. They met about 12 times in person. Engesser's phone contained 429 child porn images of the victim and seven images of other potential child pornography. There were also 23 videos of the victim that are child pornography. There is no parole in the federal system. Engesser will be required to spend 10 years on supervised release after he completes his prison sentence. Jeff? Starting the week off right, column with Kathy Pulley is entitled Tackling Heart Disease in the Quad Cities. Heart disease continues to top the Quad Cities list of health care concerns. The most recent community health needs assessment, the annual average number of deaths in the Quad Cities due to heart disease is 4.7% higher than the national average. That means heart disease kills nearly 25% of adults in our area. Trinity Heart Center is committed to reversing this alarming trend through innovation and proven programs that build and sustain healthier life habits. Through the generosity of donors to the Trinity Health Foundation, we focus on what matters most, people and their hearts. Following three pillars of prevention, easy intervention, and rehabilitation helps us change the health of our community because, first, it's needed. Heart disease is the leading cause of death in the U.S. The annual average number of deaths in the Quad Cities is 4.7% higher than the national average. Also alarming, the prevalence of heart disease in the Quad Cities is at 8.4% compared to the national average of 6.1%. And the demands for cardiovascular services is projected to grow 19% over 10 years. Experience counts. Heart care patients in our region 
trust us for their care before, during, and after a heart event. Our team brings patients the cutting-edge care they expect right here at home. As the only heart center in the region to be nationally recognized for excellent, compassionate heart care, we don't just mend people in an operating room. We equip people with the tools and support they need to return to an active life. Trinity Center Health, excuse me, Trinity Heart Center is home to a hidden community gem, a state-of-the-art education and nutrition center hosting a free heart healthy community and cooking classes. The Cardiac Nutrition Center also serves our cardiac rehabilitation patients. Trinity Heart Center was first in the region to offer the gold standard cardiac rehabilitation Pritikin Intensive Cardiac Rehab Program, serving nearly 2,000 people in the last five years. We set people on the path to success by offering professionally supervised custom exercise plans, heart risk and nutrition education, and tips to develop a healthy mindset. Trinity Heart Center offers two proven programs to help people improve their heart health. First, free cooking with heart. A series of classes to help people build healthy eating habits. Learn more and register at unitypoint.org slash cookingwithheart. Second, Pritikin Intensive Cardiac Rehab. First offered to the Quad Cities at Trinity Heart Center, Pritikin ICR is one of the of only three intensive cardiac programs approved by Medicare and requires a referral. It's designed for someone who has experienced a serious heart event. If you think you qualify, talk to your cardiologist about a referral to this life-changing program. If you'd like additional questions about services at Trinity Heart Center, email Kathy Pulley at kathy.pulley at unitypoint.org. Carol? And from Nation and the World, another atmospheric river hits. Los Angeles is the dateline. The second of back-to-back atmospheric rivers battered California on Sunday, flooding roadways, knocking out power to more than 846,000 people and prompting a rare warning for hurricane-force winds as the state braced for what could be days of heavy rains. The storm inundated streets and brought down trees and electrical lines across the San Francisco Bay Area, where winds topped 60 miles per hour in some areas. Gusts exceeding 80 miles per hour were recorded in the mountains. In Southern California, officials warned potentially devastating flooding and ordered evacuations for canyons that burned in recent wildfires that are high risk for mud and debris flows. Customers called the Santa Barbara Home Improvement Center inquiring about sandbags, flashlights, and generators, said assistant manager Lupita Vital. Sandbags sold out on Saturday, so people were buying bags of potting soil and fertilizer instead, she said. Patel said on Sunday, people are trying to get anything they can that's heavy to use to use it as, you know, protection for their doors and everything. This storm is predicted to be one of the largest and most significant in our country's history. 
and our goal is to get through it without any fatalities or other serious injuries, Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown told reporters on Saturday. Classes were canceled Monday for schools across the county, which was devastated by mudslides caused by powerful storms in 2018. Strong winds and heavy rain brought treacherous conditions to the coastal city of Ventura, west of Los Angeles, said Alexis Herrera, who was trying to bail out his sedan, which was filled with flood water. He said all the freeways are flooded around here. I don't know how I'm going to move my car. More than 846 customers were without electricity statewide, with most of the outages concentrated in coastal regions, according to PowerOutage.us. Wind caused hours-long delays at San Francisco International Airport. By 2.30 p.m. on Sunday, 155 departing flights were delayed and 69 had been canceled, according to the tracking website on FlightAware. Palisades Tahoe, a ski resort about 200 miles northeast of San Francisco, said it was anticipating the heaviest snowfall yet this season, with accumulations of six inches per hour for a total of up to two feet. Heavy snow was possible into Monday throughout the Sierra Nevadas. Much of the state had been drying out from the system that blew in last week, causing flooding and dumping welcome snow in mountains. The latest storm, also called a Pineapple Express, because its plume of moisture stretches back across the Pacific to near Hawaii, arrived offshore in Northern California on Saturday, when most of the state was under some sort of wind, surf, or flood watch. The California Governor's Office of Emergency Services activated its operations center and positioned personnel and equipment in areas most at risk. Jeff? Free Speech for People files an appeal of the ISBE's decision. The Illinois Election Board didn't block Trump's name on the ballot. A national voting rights organization is asking a Cook County judge to overturn a ruling from the Illinois State Board of Elections and block former President Donald Trump from being listed on the March 19 Republican primary ballot. The lawyers for the group Free Speech for People filed an appeal for, of the election board's decision immediately after it was announced on Wednesday. They are also asking the court to decide the matter in just a few days before local election officials begin sending out vote-by-mail ballots on Thursday, February 8th. We think the matter is urgent, both because of the overseas ballots being sent out on February 8th at the earliest and because of the nature of what is at stake here. The group's president, John Bonifaz, said in an interview on Friday, <clears throat> there should not be a candidate who is so clearly disqualified under our Constitution appearing on the ballot for president in Illinois or in any other state. The legal challenge ran into a minor roadblock on Friday when lawyers for the Trump campaign filed a motion to assign the case to a different judge. The case had been assigned to Judge Mary True, but in response to the campaign's motion, the court quickly reassigned it to a different judge, Tracy Porter. The Trump campaign gave no reason for its request. 
Illinois law allows each party in a civil action to make one request for a substitution of a judge without cause. This is a transparent attempt to delay resolution of the matter. Karen Letterer, the lead counsel for the objectors, said in an interview on Friday. Free Speech for People was founded in 2010 in response to the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission, which held corporations and other outside programs could spend unlimited funds on electioneering. The group describes itself as a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that works for free and fair elections. Following uh, January 6, 2021, when thousands of protesters stormed the U.S. Capitol in an attempt to prevent Congress from certifying the results of the 2020 election, Free Speech for People began launching legal campaigns in hopes of preventing public officials who supported the rioters from running for re-election in 2022. In June 2021, the group sent letters to chief election officials in all 50 states and Washington, D.C., They contended that if Trump were ever to run for president again, he would be barred by Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which prohibits former public officials who take part in an insurrection or rebellion against the United States from holding public office again. And uh, we have no obituaries today, but we have four pending funerals the first is for uh, Louis, known as Lou Beal, B-I-E-L, 77 of DeWitt, Iowa, who passed on Friday, February 2nd, 2024, at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics in Iowa City. Arrangements are in the care of Schultz Funeral Home in DeWitt. Ralph Combs, C-O-O-M-E-S, 98, of Moline, passed away on Saturday, February 3rd, 2024, at home. Arrangements uh, will, will be made by Whelan Presley Funeral Home and Crematory in Milan. Thomas, known as Tom C. Bulger, B-U-L-G-E-R, 78, of Rock Island, passed away on Saturday, February 2nd, 2024, at Unity Point Health Trinity in Rock Island. Arrangements by Whelan Presley Funeral Home and Crematory in Rock Island. And our final is for Doris May Howe, 94, of Tipton, who died Friday, February 2nd, 2024, at Prairie Hills Assisted Living in Tipton. Arrangements are pending with Fry Funeral Homes Home in Tipton. Jeff? Let's turn now to the opinion section in today's Quad City Times. Mood versus metrics. The first opinion piece is entitled, Voters Are Warming Up to Biden's Strong Economy. It's written by Andy Levin, who is a distinguished senior fellow with the Center for American Progress. A Democrat from Michigan, he served in the House of Representatives from 2019 to 2023. Levin writes, with 2024 election campaigns already heating up, 
many pundits are obsessed with explaining the disconnect between the economy's strong performance and Americans' stark disapproval of how President Joe Biden has handled it. The latest temperature check on consumers' opinion from the University of Michigan's Surveys of Consumers found their outlook is still low, but steadily improving and reaching its highest level since July 2021. Meanwhile, the United States added 216,000 jobs in December and maintained an unemployment rate below 4% for the 23rd straight month, the longest streak in over 50 years. These consumer surveys illustrate a simple truth. Americans don't pay much attention to the macroeconomic data pundits, excuse me, the macroeconomic data pundits rely on to evaluate the economy, such as workforce participation rates, unemployment figures, and the gross domestic product. Can you blame them? What Americans do pay attention to, and what they understand in a sophisticated way, is their own lives and those of their families and friends. And to that end, what matters is buying power. Sinking inflation doesn't necessarily equate to an immediate and equivalent drop in prices for everyday essentials such as milk or produce. It just means that additional price hikes will be smaller or non-existent, but consumers still have every right to frown at paying $4 for a gallon of milk. Getting caught up in reconciling economic indicators with economic sentiments risks overlooking the more significant point. Last year, American workers took matters into their own hands. Across a stunningly broad array of industries, workers went on or threatened to strike. They received pennies for essential work during a global pandemic while their CEOs enjoyed double-digit raises. These workers secured remarkable gains, including compensation bumps far beyond inflation in contracts poised to improve lives, including for UPS drivers, culinary workers, and pilots at United, Delta, and American Airlines. At long last, American workers began to shrink the vast wealth and income inequality gaps that have become a hallmark of our economy. But what makes these gains politically important going into this year's elections? Well, after all, only 6% of private sector workers belong to unions these days, lagging behind all other major industrial nations. It matters because wins for union workers benefit more than just them. Most workers have family members who directly benefit from the new jingle in their pockets. More important, non-union companies get scared and respond to significant gains for union members in their industries by dispensing raises of their own, both to discourage their workers from unionizing and to avoid losing workers to unionized competitors. Perhaps the biggest example of this is the United Auto Workers' simultaneous strikes at each of the big three automakers for the first time in UAW history. The result? Big wins for UAW members as well as for workers in non-unionized plants. Within weeks of the union's tentative agreements, 
Toyota, Honda, and Hyundai plants announced raises for U.S. workers. Tesla did the same after the union announced efforts to organize one of the company's plants. Another important factor to remember when trying to gauge American workers' personal economic prospects is the historic investments in infrastructure and clean energy we initiated in the 117th Congress. This included the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, the Chips and Science Act, and the Inflation Reduction Act. They are just now kicking in. As 2024 unfolds, many workers will discover a new bounce in their step, thanks to their bargaining prowess and the ripples that collective action sends through the labor market. These developments are a major contributor to the big turnaround in the latest consumer confidence numbers. Workers enjoy seeing higher paychecks, new infrastructure, and clean energy projects continue to roll out. Unemployment remains low and inflation continues to cool. The economy President Biden has presided over is sure to feel pretty good to American voters. Carol? Thank you, Jeff. And of course, a second opinion under Mood and Metrics. This one is by Bruce Yandel, a distinguished adjunct fellow with the Mercatus Center at George Mason University former director of Federal Trade Commission, Dean Emeritus of Clemson University's College of Business and Behavioral Science. And here's the article. Uh, By many indicators that matter to a lot of brilliant economists, industrialists, financial analysts, and Democrat Party politicians, Bidenomics is delivering the goods. But for rank-and-file voters, something is missing. Public sentiment about the economy has been rising lately, but it remains well below the pre-COVID years, according to the respected University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. The mood, it appears, fails to match the latest growth estimates, which came in at 2.5% for 2023 real GDP. Clearly, there is a disconnect, and we shouldn't brush off the understanding of consumers who are more bothered by their job prospects or the prices of Snickers candy bars ground beef, and a tank of gas than they are impressed by the consumer price index. A closer look at the data reveals a picture more murky than rosy. The good news appeared in December, a December White House report, replete with 10 charts documenting how economic growth has far exceeded expectations. Manufacturing investments has shot skyward, job growth has hit a healthy pace, and wages are increasing faster than inflation. While this may be accurate, there's far more to the story. The inflation surge was rooted in the COVID stimulus that required deficit spending by the Trump and Biden administrations. An increase in manufacturing has much to do with huge Biden-era subsidies, also financed through deficits, along with lasting Trump-Biden tariffs, which increased the prices of internationally traded goods. It's as though the doctor is taking credit for lessening the side effects of a treatment he prescribed. Still, we can be glad much of the economy is strong. As for understanding why so many Americans see things differently, it's not that difficult. Inflation and changing labor market remain sources of anxiety. Uncertainty about next month's paycheck by millions of federal employees and military personnel 
rises when politicians argue earnestly about shutting down the government. Constantly streaming news of millions of refugees crossing the nation's southern border, some of whom will face deportation or become a welfare burden borne by local taxpayers, can cause frowns. Raging wars in the Middle East and Ukraine affect American families. Psychologist Carl Jung explained the difference between data. Averages may not apply accurately to any family or person. Understanding, while not always scientific, matters more to real people living in real homes and buying groceries in real neighborhoods. Yes, much of Biden's economic data looks wonderful, but the view of many Americans is different. And significant differences in prosperity were reported across states, across, oh, according to the most recent state economic indicators maintained by the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. What's true in the Sun Belt isn't necessarily true in the Midwest. Economist Paul Donovan recently argued that we need a Snickers bar index. If politicians want to know how consumers really feel, they need to shop regularly at typical grocery stores, keeping an eye on the changing price of Snickers. And in parens it says, candy went up about 13% last year, ground beef and a pound of coffee. People buy and consume these things frequently. Few scan or even care about Department of Con Commerce reports. In the real world, costs hit home in different ways. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the prices of electronic appliances have fallen dramatically. Still, people may buy new TV, TVs every five or ten years. They might buy a Snickers every day or so. In fairness, any strong economy will have its weak points. The question today is, strong for whom? For politicians who want to brag about their record? Or for typical consumers who still wonder when prices and their paychecks will improve? There's a big difference between data and understanding. Right now, we need more of the latter. Jeff? Let's turn to sports, Carol. <clears throat> In a local story, Panthers savor a conference title. UT beats Quincy to claim her first outright crown since 1992. 32 years, 384 months, 11,690 days. That's how long it's been since the United Township High School girls basketball team last won the Western Big Six Conference regular season title outright. The Panthers, with a record of 22-5 and 12-1 in the conference, posted a convincing 41-22 victory over the Quincy Blue Devils on Saturday in Quincy, resulting in the first Big Six outright crown since 1992. UT last shared the league title with Rock Island in 2012. It was a team effort from start to finish, UT coach Chase Pavilonis said uh, of Saturday's victory, we came in with a really good mindset and game plan and the girls executed everything. This win was against one of the conference's top teams. Quincy entered the contest at 22-5 overall and 10-2 and in league play, having a chance to forge a title share with a victory. 
North Carolina State commit Lorena Awu scored a game-high 24 points and grabbed a team-high 14 rebounds for the Panthers. Lorena continues to stay calm, cool, and collected, even when she's double-teamed or triple-teamed, Pavelona said. She still has a level-headed mindset and is able to push through it and grind games out. Awu and her teammates celebrated after the fourth-quarter buzzer sounded in the blue Quincy court. I'm so proud of our girls on our team. From where we started at the beginning of the season to where we are now, as we continue to grow together and trust one another. The hard work is paying off, Pavelonis said. Pavelonis in his second year coaching United Township and has led the Panthers to a 38-22 mark. It feels pretty special to win my first WB6 title, Pavelonis said. But again, all the credit goes to the team. They're the ones that are playing. They bought into the culture that I brought to the program two years ago, and it's awesome to see them get the rewards for it. The Panthers wrap up the regular season with back-to-back home games. First up is Peoria Richwoods with a record 19-10 and in the last non-conference game of the season on Tuesday night. Senior night against Geneseo, who's 7-18 and 1-11 in the conference, follows on Thursday. Then, the postseason awaits the Big Six champions. We just need to continue building momentum to finish the regular season strong and head into the postseason, Pavelina said. We have a tough team coming to town in Richwoods, and then we have to finish the regular season off with senior night against Geneseo at home. We just have to continue to build momentum, playing well with each other, and trusting each other in executing everything we need to do on and off the court. Carol? And college men's basketball, number 14, Illinois, 87, Nebraska, 84. This was in overtime. Illini prevail in overtime. Monica Damask and Justin Harmon each made two free throws, and Terrence Shannon Jr. had a steal in the final 25 seconds of overtime to help number 14 Illinois beat Nebraska, 87 to 84 on Sunday. The Illini led 72 to 62 with three minutes 29 seconds left in regulation, but Nebraska went in front on rink mass short jumper with nine seconds left. Damask then pit a split a pair of free throws with three seconds remaining, tying it at 73. Illinois' Coleman Hawkins said of the Cornhuskers' late run, We were out of whack on offense and they made some tough shots. Hawkins led Illinois 17-5, 8-3 in the Big Ten with 20 points. Damask held 19 and Ty Rogers finished with 8 points and 14 rebounds. Shannon scored 18 points in his fifth game back after sitting out six games because of a university-imposed suspension because of a rape charge in Kansas. Kansas, I I think I mispronounced that. Uh, Casey Tominga scored a career-high 31 points for the Cornhuskers, and that's 16-7 and and 6-6 in the Big Ten who were coming off an overtime win Thursday over number 6 Wisconsin in a game which they trailed by 19 points in the first half. 
Mast scored 22 points against the Illini, and Juwan Gary had 12. Illinois coach Brad Underwood said, Typical day in the Big Ten. It's the best league in the country. Great players, great coaches. Tominica is very gifted. He has a great release on his shot, and he's very smart. Tominica went 5 for 7 from three-point range and four for 9 for 14 from the field overall. He also went 8 for 8 at the free throw line. Nebraska led Illinois 36-34 to at halftime, but the Illini made their first six shots in the second half to grab a 42nd, 47th to 40 advantage. I am proud of our resolve coming within seconds of beating a great team in a great atmosphere on the road, but we've got to start on the road. I guess they have doubled that here, but, but we've got to start turning up our phys physicality. We gave up too many offensive rounds, Nebraska coach Fred Hoiberg said. Illinois had a 50-33 to 33 rebounding advantage. It grabbed 17 offensive boards compared with Nebraska's five. Nebraska is winless in six Big Ten road games. Illinois is 5-1 and one at home in the Big Ten. The victory vaulted Illinois into a tie for second place in the Big Ten with Wisconsin. The Badgers lost 75-69 to on Sunday to number two Purdue, which leads the conference at 10-2. and Hawkins said, This is a big win. We're in control of our destiny. Illinois continued its domination of Nebraska. The Illini have beaten the Cornhuskers eight consecutive times in a streak that began on February 2nd, 2019. Jeff? Looking forward to the Super Bowl. A chief success pays off for Kansas City. Small businesses throughout the area receive a boost. Anthony Orpeza still remembers the day Travis Kelsey walked into his studio at the Interurban Art House in suburban Kansas City, where some of his acrylic and mixed-media works were hanging from the walls. Kelsey was helping to deliver a grant for the Community Arts Hub, and the first piece to grab his attention featured Satchel Paige, the Hall of Fame Negro Leagues pitcher who later played in Cleveland, near where the Chiefs' tight end had grown up. Then, Kelsey saw Oropesa's painting entitled .13 Seconds, which depicted the dramatic finish of the Chiefs' game against Buffalo in 2022. Kelsey made a crucial catch to move Kansas City within range of a tying field goal in their divisional playoff game. Then he caught the touchdown pass in overtime that sent the Chiefs back to the AFC Championship game. That right there, Kelsey told Oropesa, looks familiar. Oropesa's work has caught the attention of more than just Kelsey in recent years. He's done commissions for Jared Dyson of the Kansas City Royals and the wife of former St. Louis Cardinals slugger Albert Pujols. But the vast majority of his work focuses on the Chiefs, which has helped him supplement his 9-to-5 job working for the local Parks and Recreation Department. 
The success of the Chiefs, or more specifically, the success and greatness of Patrick Mahomes has definitely helped my career, he said. It helped me pay for my kids' education, helped me meet some of the best Chiefs fans around. Indeed, the sustained excellence of the Chiefs, who play the San Francisco 49ers next Sunday in their fourth Super Bowl in five years, has been crucial to the bottom line of dozens, if not hundreds, of small businesses such as Oropesa's art studio. In December, eConsult Solutions, Inc. estimated the total annual economic impact by the Chiefs on team and Arrowhead Stadium operations, as well as ancillary spending of non-local attendees of games and events at just shy of $1 billion. We're incredibly proud of our 60-plus year connection to the Kansas City region, Chiefs President Mark Donovan said in a statement. We know that the franchise and the stadium are key economic drivers. Not just for big companies, but small t-shirt companies, bakeries, and even local artists. Take Raygun, an irreverent apparel company with locations across the Midwest, which has t-shirts that feature such cheeky sayings as, I cheered for Kansas City before it was cool, and... Go Taylor Swift's boyfriend. A nod to Kelsey, of course, whose relationship with pop superstar Taylor Swift has likewise proven to be quite profitable. Charlie Hustle, another local apparel company, pays homage to her with hoodies and shirts that say, In My Red Era. Dolce Bakery in the suburb of Prairie Village, Kansas, has an entire Swifty collection of heart-shaped cakes, along with an even more extensive menu of Chiefs-related cookies and treats. Cakes are decorated to resemble Mahomes, complete with his signature curly hair, and Coach Andy Reid, whose mustache and glasses are featured quite prominently. January and February are historically quieter months for us, Dolce Bakery founder Aaron Brown said. But these Super Bowl years have allowed our creative team to churn out freshly baked Chiefs designs that the Kansas City community has loved. The very nature of small businesses allows them to pivot quickly, too. So when the Chiefs beat the Ravens to book their place in the Super Bowl in Las Vegas, Dolce produced a cake that reads, Welcome to the Kingdom, but in the styling of the Welcome to Fabulous Las Vegas sign that has greeted visitors to the Strip for more than six decades. As devoted fans ourselves, Brown explained, it's given us an opportunity to connect with our regular customers and reach new ones through our collective passion and support for the Chiefs. After the Chiefs beat the Bills in the divisional playoff when Kelsey's brother, Jason Kelsey, famously stripped off his shirt and hopped out of the suite to celebrate, the bakers at Ellen's Colossal Cookies in Liberty, Missouri took notice. They decorated a cookie cake in the spitting image of the Eagles Center, and pictures of it posted to social media quickly went viral. Another bakery, McLean's, noticed when Reed's bushy mustache froze during the Chiefs' wildcard win over Miami, the fourth coldest game played in NFL history. 
So they began offering a slightly tweaked version of their own Reed-inspired cake called the Andy Reed-sickle cake, where his mustache looks as if, as if it had icicles. And that brings us to the end of the Quad Cities Times for today. I'm Jeff Cassett. My partner at the microphone has been Carol Lockard. You can listen to Iris programs on any computer or smart device at any time at iowaradioreading.org. Thank you for listening to Iris, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. <laughs>